0: All right, Trinity Church, how you doing? Second ever evening service at Trinity Church. Give yourselves a hand, this is good. So glad to see you. Some of you, if this is your first time with us, maybe even to this service in general or even to Trinity Church, we want to especially welcome you. Thanks for making tonight a part of your weekend plans. My name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church. Just like you saw in the video a minute ago, we've been focusing this month on a couple big ideas. The first part of the month of this, of this theme, Where You Fit at Trinity, has been all about understanding how God's designed you and putting that into motion by finding a role to serve in. And then last week and this week, we've kind of shifted our focus to talk about the importance of belonging in community, of being in a group, a small group. And so both of these uh, sets of two weeks, we've offered a, a fair, and expo. Afterwards, tonight, we have that as well. And you can get, even tonight, get jump into a small group. We have men's groups, women's groups, home groups and recovery groups that are all starting in the next couple of weeks and would love for you to be a part of that so you're joining us week four on a series called where you fit at trinity well if you have a bible tonight we're going to be in romans chapter 15 romans 15. romans is the sixth book of the new testament matthew mark luke john acts romans and then in your trinity this week you have some notes that look like this if you want to get those out that'll help you track with us as we uh kind of dive in tonight it's been really fun thinking about small groups through the lens of what i just call the biblical one another's and and all over scripture we see this especially throughout the new testament these ideas that we are called to live in a certain posture towards one another it's a reciprocal thing do this for others as they do these things for you Last week we saw that the idea of small groups biblically is not some sort of just kind of theoretical suggestion, it's a directive. We saw that real clearly, bear one another's burdens. And we saw that from Galatians 6 and how powerful that was to see that saying bear one another's burdens is is a synonymous statement as love one another. And so tonight we are looking at another of the one another's except one another and i had to clarify today it's the accept not like well can, can i keep these people at arms length at length no it means to welcome to invite in and we'll see how powerful and important that is related to small groups a couple things for you guys here. Again, we're so glad you're here tonight helping us kick off this brand new service time. I was sharing in the morning how great just the, the idea, the excitement, the energy was last week, as well as the fact that we had a nacho bar afterwards. We're calling those after parties. I got some mad people today. They're like... <laughs> No nacho bar in the morning? I'm like, mm, no, that's like a Sunday night thing. So uh, we love that. And when you heard Kim mention a minute ago, even about the idea of this uh, bring, bring a dessert to share and our dollar coffee drinks that, and there's other like smoothies and all that, but uh, drinks at the coffee house, we're going to take use. One thing we love about that next week is the next day's Labor Day. And so there's quite a few Monday holidays, and anytime we have a Monday holiday, we're gonna have some fun on a Sunday night because many of us don't have to go to work the next day or school, and we have kind of a a breather just to be together. So just know that that rate we're hoping to kind of keep at a clip, and you'll see those all throughout our calendar as we start going. So some really fun things at Sunday night. Join us next week. That'll be a lot of fun afterwards. That was probably one of my favorite parts about last Sunday was all of you hanging out at the pavilion and just enjoying connecting, talking, catching up. It, it was a sight to behold. It made my heart happy. So great stuff. Well, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take another step towards this idea of how important these one another's are, especially this idea of accept one another. And, and I want to say this from the beginning tonight. We've been, I think, pretty clear at Trinity uh, for a long time, basically saying that the, the, the worship service on a weekend has a purpose it has a focus it, it can accomplish something and we love that but what it's not built to do is to be your small group so meaning these one another's these ideas uh maybe the one one another you can do is what you already did tonight and that was greet one another that's a biblical mandate uh imperative one another seven but man the other 16 they're really hard to do in an hour and 15 minutes here once a week So this idea of being in community, being with other people, not only is something that we see all over the New Testament, but even for us, our staff team has been working hard on surfacing our core values. We've been doing that for the last three or four months. And I want to reiterate one of the ones that we shared. Oh, by the way, I forgot. We have more lawn billboards, if you'd like. There's actually just a few left. People have been taking them all over the last couple weekends. They're back at the Welcome Center. We have just a few more, but if you want your front yard to look like my front yard, yard, that's what you can do, and grab one of those, Um, but let me walk you through this core value that we, uh, one of the six that we have surfaced is in your notes tonight, and it's this idea, we pursue spiritual growth and life change in community, we pursue spiritual growth and life change in community, so here's what we're saying, there are only six big ideas, six values that we want to make much of. These all fall in line, they they feed towards our mission of being a people rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds, but we make much of this, and here's why, because we believe the Bible makes much of the idea that we're called to live in community, not to be Lone Ranger Christians just kind of out there doing our best all by ourselves, but to be with a group of people doing life together, and like that core value says, pursuing spiritual growth and life change together. We want people who are, have been at Trinity for a long time or are new to Trinity to know that from the very beginning. We believe the Bible expects that you're in a place where you're in community. So we're gonna walk that out tonight, and I would just say from the beginning, we have um, some tables set out up here on the plaza, a little bit of a reduced version of our expo, but it's there nonetheless. All four groups are represented. I would really want you to think tonight, not if you should be in a small group, but simply which one. Have that idea from the very beginning tonight, and then as we exit out, I want you to go find a place to to get involved. Here's our now what statement for tonight. It says, demonstrate the heart of God when you accept others into your small group. We're going to see that very vividly tonight, that that is God's nature. God's posture is to accept us. Therefore, let's demonstrate that to others. Number one in your notes tonight, accepting others is to invite them in. Accepting others is to invite them in. And I know you're like, Todd, that's amazing. You should write a dictionary. What a powerful definition, right? It, it's not that, that rocket science. But what's interesting is as you read it, it's going to actually mean a lot, especially related to small groups in just a minute. Here's where we're at. Your Bibles are open in Romans 15. Look at verse 7. Just the first phrase, accept one another then. Accept one another then. Now, that's obviously a very short phrase, and it's in the middle of what? Like, what is the, the context? Even that word then refers to he's just said something previous. So let me back up. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Romans, probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. And, and what's great about it, what Paul's doing is he wants to build a case so that everyone who's reading it would understand the universal need that every human being has to be right with God. He makes his case over the first three chapters and he says, everybody under the sun, whether you are Jew or Gentile, and by the way, in case those terms, you know what the word Jew means, but even the word Gentile can be like, what's that word mean? Basically, everybody else. Okay, so Jew and Gentile, everybody else, everybody fits under those two terms. Romans works hard to say in the first three chapters, everybody has failed and fallen short of God's glory. Everyone is in need of a right relationship with God. No human being on the planet can be right with him. And then it moves into this idea at the end of chapter three, but there's hope because there's a universal appeal Bait to every human being, Jew and Gentile, based on what Jesus did. The fact that he lived a sinless life, he died a sacrificial death, he was raised supernaturally on the third day. So Paul makes this argument a universal need met by a universal gift a universal offering through jesus so that's what he's building to and by the time he gets to about the the later half of the book then he starts talking about this is now as if if that's true if jesus came and he made this way for us to be right what are the ramifications of that what are the realities now of what that means as people are trying to do life together so by the time we hit, we're in chapter 15, Romans 14 and 15 really go together on this issue of what we'll call tonight gray areas, or what Paul uses a phrase of weak and strong Christians. We're almost at the very end of the book. There's only one more chapter after this where we're at tonight. So he's, he's getting to the end, but this is what had surfaced. In this brand new understanding of the fact that being right with God was not about following a, secret, a sequence of rules. At the end of the day, you can boil all religion down to that. There's a sequence of rules that you have to do to be right with that deity. Christianity's different because it says there's no rules that could ever make you right enough. Jesus did what you couldn't do for yourself. And as a result, it's a response of faith and confidence and trust that says, Jesus, I believe what you did for me. And in light of that truth, now I simply want to walk in a way that looks like you. So in that confusion then of of now people who are in Christ, there's a a question of, well, then what rules are we supposed to keep, if any? Is everything off the table? Does anything matter? How are we to relate to one another? So it was a real challenge. Now, the Bible had for this group of early Christians, there definitely were some black and white issues, meaning things that were really clear, this is right, this is wrong. So in this uh, conversation of gray areas was never the issue, let's say, of murder. You know, it's like, murder Well, now that I'm free in Christ, you know, it's no big, no. No, that's a problem, okay, everywhere all the time. But there were gray areas that there's nothing that God's word spoke clearly to, and the early Christians were struggling with this or trying to figure out, how am I supposed to relate And so what Paul does, he he uses these phrases, weak and strong Christians. And for some of us, that might mean, well, do the weak ones not work out at the gym? I mean, what what does that mean? And, And he defines it. He says, no, this is what it means. For someone who's new in Christ and has no... Uh, conscious objections, meaning in their mind and their spirit related to these gray areas, they can engage in these things and not feel a sense of tension or this is wrong, then they are in that area strong and able to engage in faith and be right before God. But let's say that very same issue, if someone was like, you know what, I struggle with that. I don't think I can engage in that. I know the Bible doesn't speak clearly to it, but I just feel like that's a wrong thing. Then the Bible, then Paul says, in that area, someone is a weak Christian and this was my problem growing up I remember hearing a lot of talk about this especially in my youth group growing up and then in college and I remember being confused like okay so basically there are weak Christians and there are strong Christians and of course everyone wants to be strong and then I realized that's really not it all of us depending on the issue are either weak or strong in multiple areas and ways. The issues that were surfacing in the early church were things like certain foods that they felt they could or couldn't eat. Others were issues of of maybe what day of the week to worship. Others were the ideas of food that was even offered to idols previously and what to do with that. And I know, I know you this week on Tuesday, you were talking to the butcher. Was that piece of beef offered to an idol first? Like, you don't deal with this stuff. It doesn't phase you. It's not even the issues of our day. So that's where the tension is. What is that even about? I don't worry about any of those things they did in the early church in the first century. But I want to help you see tonight that you do worry about other ones, though. You have some tensions with some other issues that, in some areas, you feel incredible freedom to engage, and, and under your relationship with Christ, you feel like you can move forward. Others, maybe even the person sitting next to you feels like, oh, I don't know if a Christian should do that, and, and that's really the issue. Even before I read this list, the issue wasn't that people had their own internal ideas of some of these gray areas. The issues became, well, if, I'm, if I feel like a Christian shouldn't do this, then I'm looking at Christians who can, who do have the freedom to do that, and I'm judging them. I'm saying, I'm not sure you can be obedient to Christ and be doing that. And conversely, the people who were strong in these gray areas and felt the freedom to engage, they were irritated because they're like, you know what, you're driving me nuts. You're making such a big deal out of something that the Bible doesn't even speak to. We have freedom in this area. So that's where the conflict was. It was people moving from, I have an opinion, to this is how it should be. And can I just caution all of us? That's always a problem. Every time I take something in Scripture that the Bible doesn't speak clearly to, but I want to form it into some kind of binding rule on everyone, I've crossed some serious lines. And there's going to be some significant consequences as a result in my life and those that I impose that upon other people. So that was where the tension was. It wasn't even so much the issues; it was the way they were treating one another about the issues. So here's what I did: I put a a list together of a few things that I know in my Christian experience uh, of interacting with people and talking to them about where are these gray areas. Here are some of the ones that Christians I know struggle on both sides of these issues. If if it's okay for them to engage, it might be things like drinking alcohol. It could be the idea of having tattoos. It could be the idea of being a vegetarian or not being a vegetarian. It could be like maybe belonging to a particular political party. And then the one I can't even begin to understand, people who root for USC over UCLA. (laughs) I don't even get that, it's totally confusing to me. Joking aside, those are, those are some of the things, though, that people struggle with of going, I, I, I can't just engage with this or not engage without maybe wanting to cast judgment upon someone who, who feels differently about the issue. And, and those are some of the real life things. We talk about these gray areas. What does the Bible speak clearly about? A lot of things. What does the Bible speak clearly about? Some things, not so much. So in our own understanding, with our own, the idea of being indwelt by the Spirit of God, not only are we called to try to understand what I should do, but the challenge is what happens when I cross over. And I start saying my opinion needs to be what everyone does. Look how Paul even begins this line of thinking in Romans 14.1. It's the same word we're looking at tonight. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So see the way Paul put it. He didn't say, accept those whose faith is strong and, and aspire to be like them. He says just the opposite. If you have freedom in a certain area to engage in one of these things... Welcome in, invite in, count in addition the one whose faith is weak, watch, and set aside your freedom for the good of being in right relationship with him or her. So what Paul's going to say in Romans 14 and 15, what matters most is not your freedom in Christ, what matters most is your relationship with other Christians, And even that phrase you've heard before, causing someone to stumble, that's found in Romans 14. Look later on, this is the approach, basically, he says they ought to take. Romans 14, 19, let us therefore, so he's giving again, not a suggestion, but a directive, make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. So that's the context of where we find ourselves. Just a few verses later is Romans fifteen seven, where we're at tonight. Here's what that word means. Very simply, I said it a minute ago, it means to take in addition, to receive, or to welcome. It's used 12 times in the New Testament, and I wanted to show you just a couple of different ways it's used. It's used descriptively in Acts 28 when Paul is writing about when he and some others on a boat were shipwrecked. Look at the word. It says, 28 verse one, Once safely on shore. We found that, that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us, watch this, unusual kindness. That's gonna be important in a second. They built a fire and they welcomed us. That's that word, accept or to welcome. They welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So that word's used descriptively. It's just simply mentioning this is what it looks like to accept, to welcome in people. Then we see it directive. We see it as a command. And it's Paul writing a personal letter to Philemon. You have this letter in your Bible. Philemon was led to the Lord by Paul. One of Philemon's slaves named Onesimus ran away from him. And Paul, he came to know Christ where Paul was. And Paul sends him back with this letter in hand. And this is what he says, Philemon verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome or accept him as you would welcome me. So that's some different ways that we see this word used in the New Testament. And and so what's so important is, why are we talking about this word tonight, especially related to small groups? And you get it already, it's huge. Our small groups, when we make a big deal of saying, hey, it's essential that you're in Christian community doing life together, growing together, and you walk with the Lord, and then say, oh, by the way, all of our small groups are filled. Oh, Well, I should go be in one, but I guess at another church. I mean, what does that even mean? So the idea of accepting others is huge when it comes to small groups that we're going to say from the beginning, I'm looking forward to how God's going to add people to our community that we're doing life with together. And so really what that elevates almost more than anything, we've said tonight that there's a need for people to join small groups, but you know what we also have a need for? People to help lead them. You might be here and you might be like, I'm already in a group and I love leading or I've been in groups before, this is great, but oh, you you have a need for someone to lead a group. I'd I'd be open to that. And that's the way that we're able to keep saying that we accept people into groups because our groups don't get full because we just start starting new groups. I just said start starting, that's pretty cool. I like that. So, so you get the point. If we're going to live out this biblical mandate, that means we have to constantly have new opportunities for people to join. And if God's putting that on your heart tonight, I'd love for you to go out to our small group area out there and, and mention that. Say, hey, you know, I'm open to leading a small group. If that would help create more space for people so we can keep accepting them into these relational environments. That's where we're starting tonight. Let me show you where we're gonna keep going and let's get to point number two. Number two, Jesus is your model regarding how to accept others. Jesus is your model regarding how to accept others. Now, I'd say Jesus is your model about everything, but especially in this area of what it means to accept others, let's look at what he showed us. Let's continue reading. We're in Romans 15, seven. Here's the next phrase. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you just as Christ accepted you. So what Paul's going to say is he's going to say, hey, if you're wondering what does it mean to accept people, think back to what it meant for Jesus to accept you. This is to me one of the wild things about the Bible that God, knowing who he is, creator of the universe, he has absolute right and authority to tell his created beings, accept one another, period. He doesn't need to give any explanation, But what I find so amazing, almost every single directive command in Scripture is followed up with, here's why. A God who does not need to explain himself continues to explain himself because he knew he created people like me. Accept each other? Why? Oh, just as Jesus accepts. Okay, fine. And that that really does, it pulls the, it connects the dots and pulls the ideas together. Then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Because let's go back. Let's rehearse something for a moment. Let's rehearse what it was like for Jesus to accept you. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that you were sinners when he went ahead and reached out to you, accepted you. The Bible says that you were his enemy just two verses later in Romans 5.10 when he accepted you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1 that you were dead. You were spiritually unresponsive and yet he accepted you. The Bible says later on in that same chapter that you do, were one who deserved the wrath of God, but Jesus accepted you. 1 John 4.10, the Bible says it wasn't because you loved him that he started loving you. No, he loved you well in advance. And so all of these things were, were indicative of the reality of who you were when you came into this relationship, when you responded to the gospel, you didn't have your act together. And it doesn't matter how morally pure you thought your life was. The Bible says you were a wreck. Every single one of us. That's what you were, who you were, when Jesus accepted you into his family. So that's the the frame now that we're talking about. What does it mean to accept others? Well, that's the modeling. That's the example Jesus gives us. Now, I want, I want to say this phrase, and I want you to track with me. Let me say it. I'm going to say it partway through to get your attention, and then I want you to track all the way through. Watch this. Jesus doesn't accept you as is. Jesus doesn't accept you as is apart from what he has done for you so you can be acceptable. Track that whole statement. I think you and I have heard, I'll be honest, I have probably taught Jesus loves you as is, and he does only because of what he did to make you acceptable. We're gonna unpack this word accept for a little bit tonight. It's really important because that is one word that is very explosive in our culture right now and means everything to everybody. So I wanna give you some biblical framework, some guardrails tonight. When we say the word accept, what are we saying? The reason you're acceptable to God is not because of anything you did, but it's only because of what Jesus did to create the opportunity to create the standing whereby you could be accepted of him. Remember, you were a sinner. You were spiritually dead. You were an enemy of God deserving of wrath. That's who you were, yet you are still somehow able to be accepted simply because of what Jesus went ahead and did for you. Look in your notes. When we read that Jesus accepts us, it's not based on simply how great we are, because we're not, but based only upon what he has done to make us acceptable. That's a powerful idea, and I don't think it's one that we talk about enough. And, and I don't think that 10 or 15 years ago it was as dramatically as significant to talk about as it is today, where the word accept means, it's a very powerful, powerful word. So let's start with that idea. For us to say Jesus accepts you as is, we're saying only because of what he's done to make you acceptable. But let's go a little bit deeper. Why why is Paul now towards the end of Romans pushing on this idea of how important it is where they're having these factions and divisions over what they can and can't enjoy, their Christian freedom? Why is he pushing on this idea of how important it is that they accept one another And I think it really comes back to this. What did we say at the beginning of the book? We said that what he's laying out in the first three chapters is that there was a universal need that we had to be right with God that was accomplished by a universal offering in the person of Jesus. And so I really think the reason why this is so important to Paul and why Paul says with great fervor, set aside your freedoms for the sake of being right with one another is simply this, don't undo what Jesus did for you. And what I mean by that is when Jesus goes to the cross, when he pays for your sin and mine, when he raises from the dead three days later, he not only created a vertical way for us to be right with our father, but he created a horizontal reality for us to be right with one another. This was not something before. The Jewish religion was all about putting up walls and barriers between people groups and every other people group did the same thing we love and accept those who are like us but man if you're against us we are against you this was something brand new jesus came and he not only tore down the barrier between us and god but the barrier that we have with each other i I said it this way this morning in the nine o'clock service you guys are in the the student zone i just wanted you to know okay And it's great that you wouldn't, no matter what your life stages or whatever, you are always welcome to sit here. But this is where our high school students sit for service. And I was processing this. I was thinking back. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And I remember over the course of that season, there were times like you do in any stage or, or role in ministry where you just question, is this doing anything? Is this really effective or are we just going through the motions and nothing really transformative is happening in students' lives? And I remember having that idea surface a couple times. And when it did, God was very gracious because he reminded me relatively quickly of two big things that were going on in that student ministry that weren't going on anywhere else in student culture. The first one was what we were talking about had the ability to transform them. Not just heal brokenness, not just give them a place to hang out. This idea of the gospel had the ability to transform their present and their eternal future. That's a big deal. But the other thing it did was this. It reminded me that we're out to do something in that student ministry, and by the way, I'm going to speak very confidently of what our student ministries at Trinity, they're doing the exact same thing, way better than I did in terms of leadership. And that was this, every other place in student culture was completely defined by cliques. If you're in the band, you might be accepted by their band members, but everyone else is making fun of you because you're in the band. If you were a football player, your team would rally around you, maybe a couple cheerleaders, but everyone else, you're just a dumb jock. How you dressed, what music you listened to, what um, illegal narcotics you ingested, these were all things that put people in their own subcultures, and people did not cross lines. You stay in your lane. And here's the wild thing. At our student ministries, I saw students from every type of those backgrounds be able to come together in community under the name of Jesus and actually be a group of people who accepted one another. That's not just for student ministries at any local church, because here's the reality. We all just get older with that same idea. I'm going to keep rallying around people who are just like me. I'm going to create a club for this, an interest group for that. And it's just so easy for us to keep isolating ourselves and only putting around us the people who are just like us. This is what Jesus' church is meant to be so uniquely different. It's where all people, all people can be accepted. And that is something that crosses lines. Our, our, our society is dying for something like that. And that's something we want to keep reflecting to our world because that's what Jesus has done for us. Paul's saying, don't undo what Jesus accomplished for you in making you right with God vertically and right with each other horizontally. But it leads me to another idea, and I want to rabbit trail for just a second. Some of you are like, man, I think that's what you've been doing. Let me me do that, though, just for a second. And it has to do, I told you this word accept is really important, and I want to address it tonight. I want to go beyond the small group concept for just a second. People will often ask me, does God love us unconditionally? Does God love us unconditionally? And I know what they're asking. Why are you asking? I know why they're asking me. It's because it's like one coin that has two sides. Because on the one side, they're either in a position where they have expressed maybe some sort of faith in God, some idea in his belief, but they're living so completely away from even what they understand is his design, they're wondering if there's still a light on. That's, That's one reason someone asked me that question. The other side's over here. And it's someone who basically says, you know what, I, I, I don't know, I, I see people that are kind of living in certain ways, and, and I, I want God to love me, and in order to do so, I think I have to do certain things so I can stay lovable. And what I tell people is this, I said, I think this is, I remember being in a seminary class and a professor raised the issue, and I just love the way he said it, it just resonated with me, and I was in seminary over 20 years ago, so it's been a while. So, so in this conversation, I remember uh, him saying it this way. He said, you know, this is how I answer people with that. God accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you. He can accept you where you are. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he approves of how you're living, of the decisions you make. So to understand God's unconditional love means I have to have two operative words, accept and approve. Those are, those are powerful words to understand. What does that whole idea of unconditional love look like? He accepts me where I am, but that doesn't necessarily mean he approves of what I do. Now, I want to say the reason I tell you that is because that concept absolutely is in defiance to what your culture is screaming at you. A couple of weeks ago, I watched part of a message from a local pastor. His name is Jeff Vines, and he's a lead pastor at Christ Church of the Valley in San Dimas, and he was just doing an amazing job unpacking something that you and I have felt, but we didn't quite know what to call it or how to define it, and he defined it well. This is what he said. He said, in our past, he's talking about America, in our American past, our culture defined tolerance and inclusivity as, quote, all people are treated equally under the law. And by the way, I think that's a really great value. I think that's a, a biblically consistent value because it's saying that all people are image bearers. No matter what their behavior, what their philosophies, what their beliefs, they all matter to God. So everyone should be treated equally before the law no matter how potentially bizarre their, their uh, philosophy of life may be. That, that's where we used to be. That was the definition of tolerance and inclusivity. But he said, but things have changed in in recent years and definitely in our lifetime, and now it means this, not merely do we treat all people equally, but now all ideas and all philosophies are treated equally valid and true. So it's not now just the idea of a person having worth and value. Everything they believe is valid and true simply because they believe it, not based on anything related to truth. And so the reality is, especially in the world of spiritual things, if you were to say that an idea is wrong, if you voice a superior idea, you're branded a bigot. That is the culture you live in. And by the way, I'm not naive because I've had conversations with you, and I know you've already been on the receiving end of that. You see, I want to be clear tonight. When Jesus makes exclusive statements... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have to know I didn't say that and I didn't write that. He did. So as a result, as someone who is a follower of his, as a result, of someone who shepherds and pastors a local church, I'm going to be true to what Jesus said and he made exclusive claims about who he was what he came to do and what we as his people are called to follow in and we're going to continue to to live that out not in arrogance and pride not looking for a fight but i'm telling you we are living in a day when there is a fight among us a people who would say how dare you think that you're right and i'm wrong And I'm just here to say, this is the cultural world. And I'm not telling you something new, but I wanna tell you something you maybe not thought of before. I think you've drunk the Kool-Aid. I think many of you actually, you see it and you realize you see it in the headlines, you see people interviewed, and you're kinda like, wait a second, that can't be the way it is. But yet I wanna show you in just a moment, I think you actually have begun to believe that. Here's what I mean, let me explain. So when you think of this idea, it seems as though people struggle with, again, two sides of it. On the one hand, there might be some among us tonight who are really struggling with what I just said because you're like, wait a second, God's a God of love. And when you say, biblically, when you say in the Bible that he accepts me, that means he accepts all of me, not just, you know, the fact that maybe I'm I'm someone he made, but he accepts my beliefs, my behaviors, my attitudes, and even if they're out of line with what he says in the Bible, he still accepts me because that's what the cultural definition of acceptance means. And I want you to hear tonight, that's not true. You you have bought this idea that to accept everything related to the way someone is and their beliefs is what the Bible's saying when it's saying accept is not what the Bible's saying. But let me say to the other side of that issue, this is where I think the majority of us struggle. And this is what you've done. You you see the problem with the idea that everything that is about someone must be valid and true and therefore you go, no, that's not right. But here's what you've done. Let's take it outside of your small group. Let's take it even outside the family of God. And now talk about the people in your relational world. Talk about the people you live next door to you. Talk about the people you work with. Talk about maybe extended family members or even those who live under your roof. And here's your concern. Your concern is, is that there are people in your world that are living completely opposed to God. And by the way, the Bible says that they would do that. That's what that means to be someone who's not in the family of God, not living according to God's design means I'm going to live however I want to. And in that reality, they're living that way and you're keeping them at arm's length concerned that maybe some of their sins going to rub off on you concerned that maybe if I'm associated with them and the way that they live, I'm now going to have a problem with my reputation, or I'm going to be someone that others look on and go, I can't believe you were hanging out with them. Can you remember anywhere in the New Testament when people were concerned about who Jesus was hanging out with? All over the place, because he was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. So here's where we have to see this. We've subtly bought into that same lie that whatever someone believes defines the totality of who they are. So on the one hand, I'm not gonna accept them just like that's valid and true, but we do the other thing. I can't have anything to do with you because your life and your behavior and your beliefs are not in line with God's word. And I'm telling you, praise God, the people who loved you before you knew Jesus didn't treat you that way. They did not see you through that lens as someone who's lost and therefore I got to keep you at arm's length so I don't get dirty. They were people who showed you the genuine, authentic love of God as is where you were with the goal of wanting to show you something better, show you something true. This idea of accepting is absolutely critical in our culture right now that we understand what does the Bible say when it means accept others? And in our short time together tonight, that's the best way I know how to say it. Let's wrap it up. Number three, the result of us accepting one another is that God gets the credit. The result of us accepting one another is that God gets the credit. This is the the whole verse now. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Another way of translating that last phrase in, uh, from the Greek New Testament is to the glory of God. So to the glory of God, when we accept others, just as Christ accepted us, God gets glorified. Now here's the funny thing. I've said this about other terms before. I get irritated in my spirit about me. as not saying anything about you, because you're awesome, but me, I'm irritated when I use, quote, Bible land words as though I know what they mean, because everyone around me seems like they know what it means. And I think that term glorify God gets used so much, and many of us, if we're honest or scratching our heads going, I'm not sure what that word means, but it's in the song we just sang, so I'm going to keep singing it. Or someone says, you know, to God be the glory, and you're like, sure, I don't know what that means though, but Okay. So I want to take that word out of Bible land and I want to bring it into the real world where we can actually say if we're here tonight, say I'm not sure what that term means, let me help you. Look how Piper says it. John Piper said, glorifying God is feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness. That's really accessible, very simple, and that does well for my brain. So rather than all the theological milieu we could get, and look how he says it simply, feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness. So listen to the verse again through that definition. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, feeling, thinking, and acting in ways that reflect God's greatness. A commentator, I was looking at his commentary, Colin Cruz, this is how he said it. God's glory was promoted when Christ received us, accepted us sinners. And it's further advanced when we who are by nature sinners and wrapped up in our own concerns instead receive, accept our brothers and sisters in Christ with warmth and love. Super well said. That's a great way to say it. So he's saying this is how God gets the credit, how God, his character gets reflected, is when we do this towards one another. That's powerful, I don't know the last time when you thought, is there something I could volitionally, actively do that demonstrates, that replicates or or represents God well in my world? Can I tell you, you just read it tonight, accept one another. God gets the credit because why? Because we readily distance ourselves from people who are not just like us. The family of God has a different quality and a character than anywhere else in the world And this is how we'll finish tonight. We've been making much of this idea, You Belong. It's all over our lawn billboards. It's on the front of our building. And I want you to realize, I want to connect a dot tonight. While we've made much of this idea, we pursue spiritual growth and life change together in community. I also want you to see tonight another core value, and it's right there. You belong here. In your notes tonight, right there, you belong here. If we are going to be a community of Jesus followers who actually don't just put statements out there, but truly represent who we say we are, then we are going to be a people who accept others just like Jesus accepted us. This week, would we be a people who demonstrate the heart, the character of God by accepting people in our small group? Let me pray. Father, so we say thank you tonight just just for the fact that you have accepted us. What a good thing to pause and just consider tonight that there was no degree of rule keeping, no ladder to climb, no nothing we could do to be right in and of ourselves, but you went first Not that we loved you, but you loved us and sent your son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Father, thank you so much for accepting us where we were and by providing a way that we actually could be right with you through Jesus. If you're here tonight, I feel like it would be absolutely remiss of me to not give you the opportunity. We've been talking so much about the gospel tonight to not give you the opportunity to respond. It begins with A, admitting, just like we said tonight, that you're a sinner who needs a savior. You've lived life on your terms, apart from God's design, and that's a problem. B is believe. Believe that Jesus, as he lived a sinless life, as he died a sacrificial death, as he was raised supernaturally on the third day, believe that Jesus is the only savior available. C is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence I put my trust, I put my faith in what you accomplished for me. I'm not going to respond to you through religion of trying to be, keep rules to be good enough. I'm just going to believe that what you did is good enough for me. And as a result, I put my confidence in who you are, and I want to live by your power your life in front of the people I do life with. That's your first step in responding to this great news of the gospel and i would encourage you before you even get out of your chair tonight make that decision father this week would we be a people who reflect your character because we biblically accept people in the family of god and even those who are not yet like you have accepted us we love you and we pray in jesus great name amen Before we finish tonight, let me just tell you this. Number one, like we said, we have those lists on the back. If you're planning on joining us next week, sign up to bring a dessert. We would love to eat what you bake, right? I'm just going to tell you right now, I love to eat what you bake. Number two is that we have some folks who'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. If there's any way we can just relieve some of that burden, come up front. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night.